so, you know, as we're in this great, uh, through the Bible in a year, uh, we've been racing through and we're nearing the end. We will finish this on, Resur- on Easter Resurrection Sunday. I actually prefer to call it Resurrection Sunday because Easter is not really a good name, but we've adapted it and we've taken it. It's our own now. It's kind of like, you know, it's been, it's it, what it means. It, we've changed the meaning of it from being a pagan name to being a meaning about the resurrection. Uh, but it's a great celebration. We're getting ready for that. I'm so excited about that as we, as we move towards that. We just have a few weeks left in this studies. We've raced through talking about some of the some of the great stories in the Bible. One of the reasons why we did this is because we realized that, that today uh, a lot of people don't know basic Bible stories. So when you talk about David and Goliath, they go, who? You know, you know, how, you know when David killed Goliath with a slingshot? And he's like, no, I don't know that. Wow. Okay, we got to start the beginning. So we realized that. So this is what we're trying to do. We're trying. We and we, you know, we couldn't in in 52 weeks. We couldn't hit. You know, there's 66 books in the Bible, which means we really had to hit uh, some of the some of the big stories. And today we're talking about the 10 lepers that were healed by Jesus. Uh, and I have a text that is in my way. Thank you. And the, the title of this, I've titled this, 10 Lepers, Being Saved is More Than Not Going to Hell. It looks like we're having a problem with that. It's not working. Sometimes that happens. Okay. So, if you have your Bibles, you might want to look. Okay, there it is. Being saved is more than not going to hell. Now, Sometimes when we think about the word saved, the word saved in the Bible has a, has a fuller meaning than we often think about it. We, we, we can sometimes think of it in a, in, in a small dimension of, it, and it's good not to go to hell, and it's good to go to heaven, right? We're not diminishing that. That's glorious and wonderful. But salvation is more than that. And in this story of these 10 lepers that are healed... We get a great example of that and what that means. And uh, there's Randy Curtis. I was looking all over for him. I couldn't find him. There he is. Hello, Randy Curtis. He was my neighbor for a long time. Or it was, he was my neighbor a long time ago. So it's, it's kind of, one, you know, one of those things. Uh, so Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem. We are in the last weeks of Jesus' life. He's moving towards Jerusalem where he's going to die on the cross, be resurrected. This is happening. So he's, he's, he's in that transition. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Galilee being north of Jerusalem, Sea of Galilee, that area. Samaria being that region, to, mostly to the east of the Jordan River, the Jordan River goes straight down from Galilee down to the Red Sea, which is, Jerusalem's kind of like halfway between those two points. And as he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. Now, leprosy in Jesus' day was a devastating disease. And it may not even be what we consider leprosy to be today. 
As a matter of fact, if you read the Bible definition of leprosy, it's a lot of different things. It, it's basically any number of contagious skin diseases. We don't know exactly what it was, uh, but here's what the law required. The law required that if you had leprosy, because it was a contagious skin disease, that you were required to separate from healthy people. You were required to separate from your family and your friends and everyone else, and you could not offer sacrifice. You were supposed to stay away from crowds, so since you had to stay away from crowds, you had to go into the, you couldn't go into the temple and offer sacrifices. And as you walked through an area and you encountered people that were didn't have leprosy, then you had to, as you walked, declare, unclean, unclean, so that people would know to give you a wide berth because you were, had a contagious disease. Now, generally when we think of leprosy, we think of Hansen's disease, uh, what we've observed in, in modern times, and it's very likely that this is one of, uh, one of the diseases they considered leprosy was what we considered leprosy today. And leprosy is a devastating disease. It is an infection of the tuberculosis family. And, but it, the good news is that you don't hear a lot about leprosy today because leprosy can be cured with modern antibiotics. It's not a, it's not a death sentence. What the symptoms of leprosy, it begins with a spot uh, on your skin, and then it begins to spread into numbness, and then also, often it would atta- attack the extremities of your body, like your fingers and your toes. Those would become numb. They would become disfigured. Uh, a lot of times, people that had leprosy would lose their nose, uh, which would leave a gaping hole on the front of their face. They would lose their fingers. It would cause your, their fingers and toes to curl and also be numb, which means if your fingers and toes are numb and disfigured, you can hurt them and not know it. So you could grab up something hot and really burn them. You could step on something and walk with a rock in your shoe and destroy your foot and not even know you did it. So... It was devastating. It, it didn't kill people from, from the leprosy itself, but later on it would be an infection from having so many injuries that would later bring death. It was devastating not just physically, but it was devastating emotionally because of the separation that it required from family and friends and then the stigma of, as you walked about, having to declare unclean. But you can imagine how emotionally devastating that was. Now, in the Bible, leprosy is a picture of sin. It's a, it's a type of sin in the Bible. It's because sin is contagious. Uh, sin disfigures and cripples, and it destroys relationships. So Jesus is, is journeying along, and he encounters these ten lepers, and uh, they stood at a distance from him because they're respecting that. They have to maintain a distance from people. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They cried out because they're keeping their distance. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. So he didn't even really even get close to them. It wasn't because he was afraid of them. Because in Luke chapter 5, we have where Jesus healed another leprous man. 
And the way he healed that leprous man was he laid hands on him. Jesus wasn't afraid of leprosy. Uh, but he just said to them, go in peace. Go and show yourself to the priest. Now, this is what the law required. This is, the law required this. He, even when he healed the man in Luke chapter 5, the individual of leprosy, he said, now that you've been cleansed, go and show the priest and give the offering as a testimony to them. Because one of the signs of the Messiah is that he would heal lepers. So Jesus is saying, go to the priest and let them see this sign that I am the Messiah because I am healing those that have leprosy. So he healed those with leprosy. And the Bible says, as they were going, they were cleansed. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. They began their journey towards the priest with no evidence of their healing. When he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest, when they turned around to go towards the priest, they still had leprosy. So this was, this was an act of obedience. It was an act of faith. And so in faith, they turned around to go towards the priest. And as they're going towards the priest, they began their journey. And in that obedience, that in obedience, they were healed. And you can imagine that's an exciting day for those 10 leprous men that their life was changed instantly because Jesus removed from them the stigma, the disease, and the long-term obvious death that they were facing, which is difficult. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. So he was not a Jew. He was outside of Israel. He was outside of the people of promise. He was a Samaritan. But when he recognized that he had been healed, he went back to Jesus. And he was glorifying God. He was with a loud voice. Understandable, right? And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. He just fell at Jesus' feet, and he's giving thanks. The Bible says in Psalm 66, Shout joyfully to God all the earth. Sing to the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. It is the natural reaction when something wonderful happens. If I had today, and this is an if because I didn't, but if I had today placed somewhere in this auditorium under one of the seats a $1,000, I didn't, just to clarify. I could have, but I didn't. And you said, and I said, okay, now reach under your seat and see if the $1,000 is under there. And it's not because I didn't put it there. (laughs) Just in theory. If it was, just that would probably cause you to be excited. Right? I mean, you you might even go, woo! All right. I mean, we get, I mean, humans get excited. We get excited about insignificant things. Have you ever seen a T ball game? 
Have you ever seen grandparents at a t-ball game? You would think it is the World Series and that lives are hanging in the balance. And we, I mean, people go crazy. And it's sporting events. When your team scores, I enjoy it. I, 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 I can enjoy when uh, your team is winning. I don't enjoy it when my team is losing, but I can enjoy and, and we get excited. We get excited about things. It's part of our human nature to be expressive. So it's only natural that when we are joyful about what God has done for us, that we could express it. And a shout is, is appropriate. Wouldn't you agree? Would you agree that what Jesus has done for you is shout-worthy? That he saved, you, saved us and delivered us from our sins. He gave us an eternal destiny. He's changed our trajectory in him. So it's worthy of a shout. And so he shouts. Now, Jesus said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus is not surprised that the one is thankful. He is surprised that the nine are ungrateful. I think our ingratitude often, you can't surprise God, but I think our ingratitude often disappoints God. That we're not thankful. It's easy, I don't know about you, but I easily complain. I can easily notice things that are wrong, easier than I can notice things that are right. It is a weakness of my character. I battle it. And it seems to be part of our human nature. It's easier to complain than it is to be thankful. It shows us here it's 90% easier. It's 90% easier to complain. And what it shows, it shows that they had, there was something, not only were they sick physically, but they were sick emotionally. A lot of us were not sick physically. But we have areas of our minds that need to be healed. And it causes us to complain more. So Jesus says to this man, and he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. The word well in the Greek means sozo. It, it is sozo. It doesn't mean sozo. The, the Greek word well is sozo. And it's, it means to heal, cure, make well, deliver, and save. It's the same word that is used in Matthew one twenty one. She will bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. From Luke 19.10. For the son of, God, son of God has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's talking about how God has come in Christ to save us. And I believe that there's a difference between what the nine got and what the one got. Because the one was made well and the nine were made were cleansed. They no longer had leprosy. Nine no longer had leprosy, but one was made well. I believe the difference is that he was sozoed, he was healed, he was saved, he was cured, he was delivered, he was saved. 
is that in an instant, he looked down and the fingers that were gone were back. And he went, whoa, my nose is back. And he looked down and he had all 10 of his toes. He had, he had been not just healed, not just cleansed from the disease, but he had been restored. You see, Jesus saves us from sin. We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We're saved. But we're not just saved from hell and not just saved to heaven, which is fantastic, glorious. Salvation is not just a cleansing, but it's a making whole, making well what has been disfigured by sin. What God wants to do in our life is transform us in the same way that this man wasn't just healed, he was transformed. What the damage that the disease had done was undone. What God wants to do in our lives is that he doesn't want to just save us in the instant, just take our sin away, which is glorious, or just give us heaven, which is also glorious, but at the same time, he wants to take away in our lives the disfigurement of sin. We've all been damaged by sins that we have done and sins that have been done to us. We're damaged by the nature of sin. So God wants to work in our lives. Jesus came to sozo us. He came to make us well, to cure us. The Bible tells us that what Jesus does for us is transformational. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, you've probably read this, but God demonstrates his love toward us, his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only this, we also exult in Christ through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We have been saved and reconciled to God. Our relationship with God is transformational. It opens the door for all of our relationships to be transformational in the same way that we've been transformed by the love of God. So now we, because we have been transformed, we have the ministry of reconciliation. We've been reconciled. We have been reconciled to God through his love and grace and mercy. And so now we have, through love and grace and mercy, the ability to help other people not only be reconciled in relationships, but our relationships would be healed because most of our relationships still reflect too much of our fallen nature. Just Susan Harris is the only one that struggles with that. I'm sorry, Mark, that she's the only one. We all struggle with it. Let me say it again. Too much of our nature, our personality, the way we act, is still, although we have, been, we have come to Christ, is still being determined by, by, by our 
previous manner of living. It is being trans it is being disfigured instead of being transformed by sin. So in Christ, because we've been transformed, we can love the way we've been loved. You, you never really experience love until you experience the love of God. Because God loved while you, while, you, while you still didn't love Him. You know how we always love? We love people who love us. That's how we always love. We're selfish lovers. We love people who demonstrate to us that they are lovable and can be loved, and they will give us back love. We very seldom love people who don't like us. But God loves us even when we were enemies of the cross, while we were unreconcilable outside of his love, he loved us. So now we understand love, loving people that are hard to love. That's what we were, enemies of the cross. So now he calls us to love the way he loves. How were you forgiven? You see, we, it's hard for us to forgive people because we want to hold on to hurts. Don't you want to hold on to hurts? Well, of course you don't want to admit it. We, we don't, none of us want to admit it, but we do. We, when we get hurt, we want to justify our ability to, to hold on to hurt. But we've been forgiven of the greatest sin possible. So God wants us to be transformed by his love and his forgiveness so that we can be involved in seeing his transformational love touch others, to transform us by his love. His love for us is not just don't go to hell, go to heaven. It transforms us from slaves and enemies into sons. It changes that relationship then our minds can be transformed. God wants to transform your mind. He wants to change your mind. Because I don't know if you know this, but your mind's a little messed up. Mine is. Here's what Paul says to the Romans who were living in a culture very similar to ours, where pagan gods ruled the day, where they were considered atheists because they did not believe in all the gods, but believed in one God. The Christians were considered the atheists by the Romans, and the culture was, didn't value life, didn't care about people. In the midst of that, Paul says to the Romans, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service to worship. He said, offer your life, offer your bodies, your physical body, as a sacrifice to God. And you've all heard this. It's not anything new, unique that I'm saying. The, the difficulty with a living sacrifice is that it wants to crawl back off the altar. Right? So if we are a living sacrifice, we have to continually be offering ourselves to God. It's not, it's not automatic. Well, I, I offered myself to God one Sunday morning. I walked forward and I shook a preacher's hand or I got baptized. I gave my life to Christ. Those are all wonderful things. Do all of those things, but that's not the end. That's the beginning. So it's the beginning of offering yourself as a living sacrifice, of being transformed because God wants to transform your mind. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How are you going to be changed? By the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. To change your life, you have to change 
the way you think. See, Jesus came to help us not have a worldly mind, but a mind that is instead led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God renews your mind so that we have, the Bible says, the mind of Christ. The Lord wants to transform your mind. He wants to help you change your mind. There are things in your life and in my life that don't line up with the Word of God. The things that I think need to change. Here's what it said in 2 Corinthians. I've always loved this passage of Scripture. Paul, again, writing to the Corinthians, said the Romans, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. He's talking about, you know, there's problems in the world and we think it's people, that our problem is with people. And he said, really, the problem is not with people, but it's, it's with the world system. It's, and often, it's not with people out there. It's with what's going on in here. Often, our biggest problem is not out there. We would like to say, well, it's, you know, it's that guy, uh, but it's, it's here. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations. I, I was listening to, uh, I thought it was interesting, uh, some... Someone was uh, Petty, Petty Davis, Ronald Reagan's stepdaughter, was saying that Ronald Reagan wouldn't like Donald Trump's America, which may be true. I don't know. But what's interesting is that how she was qualifying this. She said, I feel like he would think. great. If using that, I can make up anything. I feel like Jack Bacon would think about giving me a million dollars. How honest, you can't, I honestly feel that. And he'll think about it. So there you have it. But speculations is when we come, in other words, we often project what we think other people think. I think you think. You don't know what I think. Most of the time, I don't even know what I think. So you don't know. Or if you do know, tell me and I'll know. A lot of times in marriage, you can have some great fights about what you think the other person thought when they were doing what you thought they were doing and thinking about what you thought they were thinking about. But you don't know. You're still confused. You thought about it. So... He's casting down the weapons of our flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are not destroying speculations. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So God wants to transform our minds so that those, the thoughts are transformed. And they are brought into the obedience of Christ so that we think like Christ thinks. We don't think like we think. We don't think based on our hurts in the past. We don't think about the things that have happened to us or the, the things that we have experienced. Instead, our, our, our thinking has changed. It's transformed, not based on those things, but based on Christ. 
So God wants to change your mind. And the way he changes your mind is by the Spirit and by the Word of God. He will use the Spirit and the Word of God to change your mind. When you read the Word of God, he quickens, he quickens the Word of God by your Spirit. And he'll say to you, uh, hey, you need to stop doing that. I'm not saying it's something. But just know it in your knower. It's not like, like a voice comes out of me. Hey, Randy Hewitt, stop doing that. It's not that. But it is because I've, I've read the Word a lot. I'm using this like it's a Bible. It actually does have my Bible in it, but it's, you know, it's a screen. Because the Bible is in me and the Spirit of God is in me. He will quicken me when I do something that I shouldn't do. When I act a way I shouldn't act. The Spirit of God will say to me. I don't know how he operates in your life, but he'll say to me, he'll quicken me and say, uh-uh, don't do that. Don't do that. But I really, really want to do that. Huh? I want to be mad. Do you know what she just said to me? The woman you gave me. <laughs> we, we just took up. I'm, I'm doing a new study uh, about to do premarital counseling. So I'm doing the Simba system, which is Les and Leslie Perot have a new system for doing premarital counseling. And you take a test. And so I, I had to be certified to do it. So I took the certification. I went to the classes, did the certification uh, so I could use this new premarital counseling system. And uh, they wanted me to take the personality test or the whole test. It's a test uh, that I'm going to walk through these steps with all these couples of these areas because to help them work on get ready for marriage because marriage is hard, right? And we've been married now, you know, a few years. Uh, (laughs) And what's interesting is that... uh, in 43 years, we've become the same person. <laughs> Our answers were the same on every stinking question. When we're very different. We're both very different because I'm right. <laughs> we're both very different. But what has happened is that we have, we have compromised in so many areas of our life where Areas where I now I'm not a my gift is not planning. I do plan, but that's not, I'm a spontaneous. I can change on a dime. Oh, you want to do this? Let's do it. Tina can't change with a letter from Congress. <laughs> she just can't change. Once she's made a plan, you're going to do the plan, or you're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Now we've both compromised. And we're more like each other. We both have come the other way. I'm more of a planner, and she's more of a compromiser. It's just, it's just amazing. You see, that's what God wants to do in your life. Through contact, by being in contact with Jesus, by living by the Spirit of God, He wants to transform you so that you're looking more like Jesus and less like you. 
He doesn't want to just take you to heaven. He doesn't want to just keep you from hell. He wants to transform us so that the world is seeing more and more of who Jesus is through us, that we're transformed by his love and his grace and his power and his salvation, his death on the cross and his resurrection. We're transformed by it and we're able to give a greater picture of what Jesus is like because we're being transformed. Our mind is being changed and the things that have happened to us and the things that have happened against us Those have lost their weight and they're broken away and instead the grace and love and mercy of God becomes more powerful in our life. He wants to transform your attitudes. Sometimes some of the hardest stuff. Have this attitude in yourselves which is also in Christ Jesus. You've heard this. Paul now to the Philippians. Who although he existed in the form of God he was God. Fully God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he was willing to humble himself. He emptied himself. We call this the kenosis. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of a man so that God emptied himself so that he'd be, be a man. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So, so he served and he humbled and he was obedient. And our attitudes can be transformed. This leper that came back had a life-transforming attitude. Ten were healed. Nine were cleansed. And didn't even feel like it was worthwhile to go back and say thank you to Jesus. Did they feel like he owed it to them? Did as they were walking away, do you think someone said, well, it's about time. We've been suffering for this a long time. A lot of times our attitude stinks. I don't know about you, but sometimes our attitude stinks. One of the things that God wants to change is our attitude. He wants us to have the attitude that was in Christ. A serving attitude, a humble attitude, an obedient attitude. God wants to transform us where obedience is a joy, not a, not a drudgery. The, the joy of salvation Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross despising the shame. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. So obedience for us in Christ doesn't become a, i got to do that. i got to clean my room again. Instead, it's the joy of obedience, knowing that this brings joy to God. It's going to bring joy to me. So God wants to transform our attitudes. And, you know... God uses weak things to confound the wise. And there's a couple of weak things that God uses that don't seem like they have any power. Prayer. So, you know, it seems weak, doesn't it? People despise today when something happens, you say, well, you're in our thoughts and prayers, and they say, thoughts and prayers, what's that? Well, thoughts aren't worth much, but prayers are. And another thing that's one of the things that God uses, one of the little things that God uses to confound the wise, to break strongholds, is gratitude. This this one leper came back and was thankful. And being thankful, it transformed him. I want to tell you, there's some things in your life that would help you if you'd quit complaining 
and start being thankful. Some of you need to lay down a bunch of complaints. I know. I'm a complainer. I'm a recovering complainer. (laughs) Hello, my name is Randy Hewitt. I'm a complainer. Thank you. I'm recovering. I'm learning that it's more important for me to be thankful for the things that I have than to complain about the things I don't have. Because being thankful for the things that I do have opens the door for me to get the things that I don't have. But complaining about the things that I don't have shuts me down and keeps me from moving forward. And it, it eats at my soul. So... That's it. Jesus doesn't want to just make you clean. He does want to make you clean. He does want to save you and he wants to keep you from hell. And he does want to take you to heaven. And those two things are glorious. Not to be despised in any way. But he wants to do more than that. He doesn't want to just make you clean. He wants to make you well. He wants to to grow back those fingers that sin took away from you. He wants to renew your mind that has been entangled by hurts and betrayal and the world system. And he wants to make it strong and renewed. He wants to give you instead not the mind of this world or your broken mind, but he wants to give us the mind of Christ. He wants to work in us so that we're not just saved, but we're restored. That's my prayer. Let's stand. So, Father, we're here today, and we're so grateful that you have saved us, and we're so grateful that you have given us eternity as a glorious promise. It is wonderful. But, Lord, we realize that Part of the journey is that you want to heal where the enemy has disfigured us. You want to restore where the enemy has destroyed relationships. You want to change us in our attitudes from complainers to those that return and give thanks, where our focus is more on what we are thankful for than what we are complaining about. And Lord, we can't do that in our own strengths. We can't do it by doing better and trying harder. It's, it's not about that. It's about resting in your provision and trusting in you and saying yes to you, yes to the Holy Spirit. Lord, I want you to work in my life. Lord, I want you to help me change my attitude. Lord, I want you to help me change my mind and that for my mind to be renewed by the word of God. I say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.